Trojan fans. It's time for another installment of the Trojan Blast Recruiting Podcast. We give you the inside scoop on everything about USC football recruiting from the experts who know what they're talking about. Which players have an offer, which ones don't, who the coaches like, and who our experts like. And now, here are your co-hosts for the Trojan Blast Recruiting Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher Ryan Abraham and uscfootball.com national recruiting analyst Gerard Martinez. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. We're going to talk some USC football recruiting with our buddy, our pal, Gerard Martinez. Follow him on Twitter at gmartlive. Does a great job covering recruiting for over a decade for us here at uscfootball.com. I uh, just to let you know, we're going to have Dan Weber on the podcast probably Wednesday. We'll probably do that tomorrow. And uh, we wanted to do it after the uh, new college football playoff rankings come out. So we'll have a little bit more to talk about. So we still have questions that you've sent in for Dan and general stuff about the team, about the win over Notre Dame. So we'll get to more of those in tomorrow's show. Today, we wanted to switch focus to recruiting because it was also a big recruiting weekend for USC. If you have any questions for us, you can always email podcast at uscfootball.com or just go to our website peristylepodcast.com a couple different ways you can leave a voicemail uh, we're on itunes itunes.com slash peristyle podcast please subscribe leave us positive feedback that's wonderful five-star rating tell your friends about the peristyle podcast and tell them about our man nobody on the planet knows more about usc football recruiting than gerard martinez i do not feel uncomfortable saying that because i've seen him do it year after year after year he just does an amazing job, and here he's joining us now. What is up, G-Mart? How are you? I'm doing good. Uh, just uh, trying to recover from that weekend of uh, nine official visitors for USC, which was really unprecedented. A lot of people talk about the big weekends that they've had in you know previous years, but I don't recall USC having that big a weekend in season for more than a decade. So uh, we had a lot of guys we were trying to call, uh, we're starting to get some of those phone calls answered, and we're starting to trickle in some updates. Uh, but uh, Sunday was just uh, a lot of, uh, you know, voicemails and <laughs> phones being off. And that tends to happen after the USC visit. The kids are sleepy. They want to go to bed, and they get off that plane, and uh, they pretty much uh, they're, they're off the radar, off the grid. I think it was kind of a perfect storm. We're going to go. So Gerard put up a great piece recapping the Trojans' uh, first big recruiting weekend up on uscfootball.com, so go check that out on the site. But to me, Gerard, this was kind of a perfect storm where we knew going in, um, you know, great signing day last year, Clay Helton selling hope and change and all that kind of stuff, but the proof was going to be in the pudding this year. And if USC struggled, it was going to be a weirder, you know, not as good of a class. And if USC did well, the class would be better. And it started off terrible and then turned around, so it was great. So, I think you see the focus shifting and you're getting some of those, you know, topper, you know, higher up four and five star guys that maybe are on the fence kind of turning things around. USC typically doesn't do a lot of, uh, you know, in home, vi- I mean, uh, official visits during the season, but usually if it's a big game like Notre Dame or something, you can kind of host them all at the end. So I think it all kind of came together, Gerard, where you brought more people on board. It was the big Notre Dame game at the end of the year. And uh, there'll be a lot more official visits after this, but it made it so this was like one of those big, you know, kind of rare game weekends where you have a whole bunch of official visitors. Yeah, it, it, it was a perfect storm, both figuratively and literally. Um, <laughs> we got some rain. Yeah. 
because it rained uh, during the game, which is so rare. And it rained the whole weekend in Southern California, which was definitely probably the one negative to the the weekend. And I'm certain that the coaching staff probably maybe they would have adjusted things a little differently if they knew that that was going to rain like that during the game and be so cold. You had you know someone there like uh, Myron Tagovailoa, who uh, Tagovailoa, excuse me. Uh, who's from Hawaii and, and, you know, he gets off the plane and he's thinking, wow, this is like really cold and oh my gosh, it's like raining and I'm freezing. And, uh, and that's like very rare in Southern California. I mean, we've been getting, uh, uh, you know, 80 degree temperatures the whole year, it seems like. So, um, sort of a, a misfortune that it rained like that and, and the kids didn't get the sunny California side of things. Uh, but as you said, the momentum and the proof in the pudding is really what this is all about. And we said it throughout the season. We got a lot of questions about USC and how they're recruiting. And, oh, my gosh, there's too many three stars. And it's just a process. And now I think what fans have to understand that kids for the past few years have been committing to schools and then basically just using that as a foot in the door to make sure they have a commitment in case something happens during the season and they get hurt and they don't have any scholarship offers, that they're, they are in somewhere. And then if they're healthy and they have a good season, they start to entertain the offers that they had or any other offers that they got during the season. And they take their official visits, and they often decommit from schools, and they go somewhere else where they feel is better. Well, now the schools are doing the same thing. And as we kind of said you know, throughout the summer and the beginning of the season, said, you know, don't look at this class and don't look at recruiting right now like it's already being set in stone. None of it is being set in stone. And once you get into that postseason – and really, it's kind of the mid to late November, you hit the reset button on recruiting. And that's what we're going to see. Uh, I, I talked about it last podcast, talked about a little in the war room. You're going to see a lot of shifting with this class. Uh, you're going to see some guys that are going to part ways with USC. And uh, it's really a matter of how many guys, uh, rather than it's going, is it going to be guys, if it's going to be guys. And so, you know, with a big weekend like this, like I said, very rare, I think the one thing – that is most notable about it is the fact that there are so many guys there. And I think it's just sort of a, um, it's emblematic of USC sort of reevaluating their recruiting board and seeing, okay, let's get some bunch of guys here. Let's see kind of where we are with these guys. And then we can kind of see where we're going to be going into January because, you know, we can win that bowl game. I mean, we're doing well. We've got a lot of people calling us that, you know, weren't calling us, a lot of prospects that are, you know, want to set up visits that maybe we didn't have a great shot at when we were in September. Now we need to sort of re- reset our board a little bit and kind of figure out where we are with some of these guys that are three stars and figure out do we really want to recruit those guys still? Do we still really want those guys? So, I mean, you see nine guys come in that uh, are officially visit to USC. Not all nine guys, of those guys I think USC necessarily is going to want at the end of the day. Um, so we're going to have to see how that happens, how that shakes out. And, again, with the committed class and then these new prospects that uh, they may be guys on the target board, but they're committed elsewhere, and that's why we leave those guys on the target board because this is this is what happens with the recruiting process. I mean, you go and you look at uh, Jamel Cook last year, the safety, 6'4", 195-pound safety out of Miami. I mean, he was nowhere to be found. Uh, in regards to USC and never mentioned USC, never talked about USC up until really you got into December. And then we got to the Army All-American game and just sort of on a hunch a little bit, I, I talked to him a little bit about USC and he said, yeah, I'm going to officially visit USC. He's like, whoa, okay, that's news. Um, so well, you, you I mean, there's to so be much fair, that happens. But why, why Gerard's good at this, to be fair, because he was telling me, okay, I got to find Cook. He's good, you know, and like no one knew. No one that was covering USC. There was a lot of people there covering USC. No one knew except Gerard. 
that he was a guy to talk to. So that's that's kind of what makes Gerard Gerard is that he's the one that knew to talk to him about it and got that he was going to take an official visit. Yeah, you got to you got to be ahead of the game on that kind of stuff, and you and you but you just have to know that in January, just January, just three weeks of January, really, and, and there's really a week that there's it's a dead period still, and but you get that three weeks of January, and more sort of happens within that three weeks of January with recruiting that's actually impactful and influential than the six months that you have outside of of the season and everything that goes on. I mean, it's just it there's so much that goes on in that last stretch to signing day these days. And that's why a lot of people want, you know, an early signing period and they want to sort of stretch it out and not make it all about three weeks in January or just the two months that you have, your two weeks in December and then your three weeks in January. That's sort of what recruiting, like the important part of recruiting has become. And so you get guys like Jamel Cook who just come out of the woodwork and all of a sudden they want to visit USC. He's committed to Florida State, you know, Florida State's doing pretty well. You're thinking, why would he, why, why USC? Well, it's just a matter of playing time. It's just a matter of fit. It's just a matter of taking an official visit somewhere he's never seen before and whether he gets along with the coaches and all of a sudden, boom, boom, boom. Next thing you know, he's committing and signing to USC. And it's the momentum that USC has now. I mean, that was with sort of like we talked about the clean state slate with the coaching staff and a lot of promises that you can make as a coaching staff when you're a brand new coaching staff, even though you know, some of those coaches had been at USC before, and obviously T. Martin and Clay Helton had been at USC for a long time. It still was a new staff, and there was still a lot of promises that could be made. If USC would have been bad this season, and let's say they only won seven games, and they didn't have the turnaround that they did, it would be very hard to, to sell what they had put on the field. But because they turned things around, and you still have that Alabama loss, and that's going to linger, and that's going to hurt them with some guys, but with a lot of guys, especially regionally, they've seen the turnaround. They've seen Sam Darnold come in. They've seen development from players that were guys that weren't necessarily key contributors last year. Guys like Christian Rector, guys that are coming in and actually, you know, making a difference for USC. Michael Hutchings. I know a lot of people really, really doubted Michael Hutchings. And that's a guy that you, I knew that was a good player, but I knew he needed a good system to be a good player. He's not this amazing athlete that's just going to run around and make plays like a Keith Rivers. He's a guy that's got to play in a real good system, play to De La Salle, and that's why he was really impactful there. And so you see with a coach like Clancy Pendergast, and this is what kind of reinforces Clancy Pendergast being a good coach, when you plug a guy like Mike Hutchings that's been in there, a guy that, quite frankly, the patch coaching staff didn't like and really didn't want to play, and all of a sudden this guy is one of the better players in the defense for USC this year. He's, he's been one of the more consistent uh, contributors to USC this year. So those are the kind of things that, trust me, the parents and the kids are watching. They want to see. That's that's how you sort of make a barometer for what the coaches can do and, and how they can develop talent. And if USC continues to do that and they continue to win, yeah, they're going to have a lot of Jamel Cooks that want to come in. It's not just going to be a Jamel Cook. It's going to be three or four Jamel Cooks. Three or four Jamel Cooks, huh? All right. That'll be interesting. Okay. So going back to the, the, the recap of the weekend, nine official visitors. Uh, we're not going to go through everybody. If you want to read the story, you got to be a USCfootball.com member, but if you're not, you're missing out. And, uh, we actually have a Cyber Monday sale going on right now. Buy one month, get one free. So check it out on the site. Um, nine official visitors, mostly linemen. Um, so which was kind of interesting, but maybe kind of give a recap of like overall, how you think it went, um, you know, how they responded to the Notre Dame win, um, and stuff like that, I guess. Well, Notre Dame was supposed to get beat, and they got beat. So I don't think the game 
itself was was hugely impactful in terms of the result. Um, the atmosphere was really good. Had a couple guys talk about that, say you know it was it was it was really good until it started raining, obviously, and then they ducked in underneath the lounge. Basically, were watching the TV more than they were watching outside in the game. Um, I think that it went well. Uh, it wasn't one of those weekends where they had a bunch of public commits. They they didn't really even have a lot of uh, silent commits. There wasn't a lot of people behind the scenes. Um, these guys. There's, there's, it's an interesting mix of, of kids that they brought in. They brought in a couple guys that are committed to other schools, uh, one being the junior college uh, tight end, four-star tight end Jeremy Patton from Western Arizona or Arizona Western. Um, he's kind of an interesting cat because he signifies that USC definitely wants to take two tight ends in this class. And, that, and we knew that for a while. It, it, be, it really was a question of do you take a second tight end or do you take a, a fifth or sixth lineman? And that was really earlier in the year where we weren't sure if USC was only going to have like 22 rides in the 2017 class or were they going to have 23. Now we're looking at possibly a full class because we know there's going to be some juniors that are going to leave. Uh, there's a chance that there could be a couple transfers on top of that. It could end up being a 26 class, 27 class, if it all plays out that way. And obviously if it gets past 25, USC is going to probably have to use some blue shirts. We won't get into that, but it's going to probably be a full class. So now you go, okay, yeah, yeah, there's room definitely for a second tight end. So they offered Jeremy Patton. uh was probably the end of October, I think, when they offered him a scholarship. He's currently committed to Arkansas, and he likes Arkansas a lot, and he likes the way Arkansas uses a tight end. Uh, Arkansas has an All-American tight end that's probably going to be leaving. Um, so the, there's Arkansas is not completely out of it with him, uh, but USC definitely made uh, some inroads with him. Um, they probably would have liked to get in the tight end the ball a little more in that game. It didn't really happen that way. They they did use uh, Taylor McNamara a lot early in the game, and they used him a lot in the game just in general. I don't know if people picked up on that. I did just because I knew Jeremy Patton was watching the game, and I knew USC would want to say, <laughs> look it, that guy's graduating. Look how much he's playing. You can come in and play for him. Don't worry about Imator Bebe. He, he, don't worry about that guy. We're playing two tight ends. So that's the way USC sort of started the game. That – Actually, that's as a interesting. Side note, yeah, that's because that, it was a bigger game for. We haven't seen much of McNamara lately. It's it's mostly been a mentor baby. And this is sort of why uh, big recruiting weekends can sometimes backfire on schools. And I mentioned this when when it kind of got past, like there was going to be five six guys officially visiting. I sort of noted on the board, this is a lot of guys. You you, you hope the coaching staff is not going to be too distracted trying to entertain all these recruits because we've seen it backfire on numerous schools when USC went to play them. You remember Notre Dame with Charlie, I think Charlie Weiss was there, and they had a huge visit weekend, and USC went in there and beat them on the road. I think that was that 2011 team. Um, Oregon had a huge weekend where they brought LeBron James in, and they brought all these people. They had like this um, this uh, auxiliary stands that they built in the stadium, if you remember that. And they had the recruits up there with all the stars, and it was this big deal. USC went up there and beat them on the road. Um, so sometimes that thing backfires, and a lot of times it's because you've got coaches that are like trying to entertain recruits, and they're not game planning with their team. And so this is one of those things where it, it also sort of, you know, you could look at the recruit list and go, okay, if they got like a five-star running back, they're going to want to run the ball in this game. It sometimes can tip your hand as to what a school might want to do in terms of their game plan based on what recruits they have there, you know. So, uh, yeah, Jeremy Patton, obviously, you know, that I think had a little to do with McNamara getting the ball. Um, so USC's trying to make a move on him. He would be an early enrollee. He's got two years to play three, or excuse me, three years to play two, meaning, 
He has three years of eligibility. He's got a red shirt that he can use uh, to play two years. Um, so he's a guy that USC would love to plug in, uh, 6'7", 250. Um, so there's a possibility that we should hear from him here pretty soon because that uh, early uh, signing period for JUCOs is December 14th. So uh, we're thinking maybe probably between now and maybe early next week he should maybe make a decision, make an announcement. We're going to see about that. Um, and there was a bunch of other guys, but, again, I kind of go back to what I'm saying. You know, Myron uh, Tagovailoa, uh, Brandon Peely, uh, there's some guys there that maybe there's a question as to, okay, how hard does USC go after those guys because there are still a bunch of defensive linemen, elite defensive linemen on the list that they may be able to get in for official visits. Obviously we know about uh, Marvin Wilson, the five-star defensive tackle from Houston, but there's other guys, J2 Fele, uh, Solomon Aubrey. There's a handful of guys that are impactful players, guys that can contribute next year and really play meaningful downs. But there's only a handful of them. There's a lot more sort of projects out there. And right now, USC's got a lot of guys committed that are really more projects. Um, you look at James Lynch. You look at uh, Jacob Lichtenstein. Uh, Terrence Lang is a guy that I think is a heavy lean towards USC. Those guys are sort of projects. They're going to need time in the system, gain weight, get stronger, get bigger. They're not that immediate impact player. So at USC, right now, you're looking at the class you need to have a marquee guy in there, at least one of them. And we talked about this in the state of the recruiting. They have to sort of recruit around that spot that right now is not filled. So they've got to find that guy. So do you jump in and you start taking you know, commitments from some of these other guys that are coming in early? Or is that just basically a placeholder until you get into January and you bring in some of these big-time guys and you bring in maybe three or four guys that are impact players of the defensive line, and you see what happens. You go, okay, we're not going to get those guys. So let's backtrack and go back to the guys that already visited, and we already know that we're in good standing with them. Um, or you know, do we hold on and wait out and hope maybe we get a guy on signing day like Marvin Wilson or J2 Fele? So that, that's sort of, I think that's another interesting point of this weekend, just in terms of the numbers they brought in. Obviously, Austin Jackson coming early was interesting. He's not going to be an early enrollee. A lot of people were reporting that from my sources are saying, no, that's not going to happen. Uh, but he did come in early in the process. and was one of his first visits. It might have been his first visit. Shock and Spratling talked a little bit today. Um, he's been pretty quiet on the recruiting trail in terms of talking about his recruitment. So um, we'd like to hear from uh, him just in terms of, uh, you know, other visits he's going to go to and, and sort of other schools that he's already seen that maybe he wants to see again. At this point, it looks like USC is a clear leader. Arizona State was really the other school that he seemed to like. And it seemed early on when USC was down that Arizona State was making a big move with him, and he'd been to Arizona State a few times. The one thing about him and USC is that since he went to the Rising Stars camp as a junior, he didn't make a lot of unofficial visits. He wasn't on campus hardly at all, but for maybe 15, 20 minutes over the summer, and that sort of made people wonder, uh, what's going on with Austin Jackson? Is he really you know, liking USC as much as people presume he liked USC because you know, his, his grandpa played there. He's got family ties to USC. Uh, but after the visit, it seems like USC's still in a very good place for him. And, you know, the other kind of surprise visitor or kind of visitor that was a little bit out of left field was Foster Sorrell, the five-star uh, offensive lineman from Graham, Washington, um, a guy that, you know, obviously USC would love to bookend with Austin Jackson because they're losing Chad Wheeler and they're losing Zach Banner, and that's huge. Uh, I think with him, I think it's still outside shot with him. I think Stanford and Washington have been the leaders for a long time. I think Stanford certainly is still a leader with him. 
I would still think that he's going to go to Stanford. Uh, but USC's got a, you know, a puncher's chance, so to speak. You know, they're, they're making moves, they're doing things. You never know what's going to happen. The other thing about January is that you've got coaches that leave. Hey, maybe Mike Bloomgren gets a, co- a head coaching job somewhere, and all of a sudden he's gone as offensive line coach, uh, offensive coordinator at, at Stanford. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that can happen where all of a sudden, boom, next thing you know, USC's the school by default that this kid ends up going to. Um, so they're, they're really, I think, right now, this is in-home visit time, it's evaluation time, they're getting some you know, official visitors in. It's just sort of a like, let's get our feelers out there and just see what we can see. That's sort of what I feel like with after this weekend with USC and sort of where they are right now with recruiting. All right. Um, so you're telling everyone – all USC fans should panic because recruiting is going terribly, right? Is that the basic? <laughs> That's what people read into that. <laughs> I was some, unfortunately, we've seen a couple of instances like that on the board where I answer a question and somebody's reading between lines that are not there, and you know, it's something. All of a sudden, everybody's you know running running around, uh, chicken littles. Um, but no, it was it, it was it was a good weekend of recruiting for USC. But it's just one of those things that, like I said, it's sort of become a place marker to some extent. I mean, we know. Another example is Leighton, uh, Utah four-star linebacker, Taylor uh, Katoa. That's a guy that I would expect go to USC right now. Uh, loves Washington, took his visit to Washington. Washington was a clear leader. But USC has been the childhood favorite forever. And USC swooped in with the offer once they saw him play middle linebacker in high school. He's been a guy that's played quarterback predominantly in his high school career, played a little bit defensive end. This was his first year where he actually got linebacker on tape. And once USC saw, like, you know, a full five, six games of him actually playing linebacker, middle linebacker specifically, they offered him a scholarship. And so they, you know, they obviously feel pretty good with him. I think he's a guy that they feel like they have a good shot at, and he, he's going to end up being an early enrollee, which makes it even that much better. And that's that would be a guy that would be a little surprised at this point if he didn't end up at USC. I think he's still got a, a visit to Utah this week, and that will be his last visit and then he's going to have USC in home, and then he's going to make a decision. But um, I think that's a guy that, you know, USC definitely feels good about, and I can see why. Um, there's, there's definitely, you know, some, some, some traction that's been made. Alec Jackson, you know, defensive the tackle from um, Alabama, who's, who's a big body and a guy that I think is really underrated. I think, you know, him. I think one of the things I will say is most of these recruits that visited this weekend – came out with their families, their parents, and they had multiple family members there. So that's a big deal, too. You know, when you get kids there and they come solo, it kind of takes a little bit away from me because you know there's – especially when they're out-of-state recruits, that's the biggest thing. When when you got a guy that leaves state and he comes alone, you start to wonder, okay, how seriously is he looking at USC? You know, his mom's obviously going to be a factor in decision. Dad could be a factor in decision. Grandma could be a factor in the decision. You've got all these other – possible, you know, factors that are not being addressed on that official visit that are floating around out there back wherever the kid's from. And when you bring everybody in, you know you're dotting more I's and you're crossing more T's with everybody in the family. I think for for the coaching staff it's a big deal because you get to sort of get a feel and have conversations with everybody and get a little different perspective on that kid's recruitment. And sometimes it will give you – a little bit of a tell as to where the kid is leaning. You could talk to mom and go, wow, okay, this kid's not coming here. And, that, and if the mom's not there on the trip, you're not going to get that. So that it's very important, very valuable to kind of get that information from everybody that can be there. And the more people that are there with that recruit, the, the more information you're going to get. So that was a big deal, I think, on this official visit weekend that most of these kids brought family with them. 
Well, let's jump into the questions, Gerard, since uh, people are curious about what's going on with U.S. recruiting. We're going to start off with a voicemail for you first. Here you go. J.D. from D.C. with this week's recruiting question for Gerard GM. Uh, wondering if you could elaborate on three of the official visitors this weekend that are uh, either flying under the radar or not as well known probably to uh, fans. Myron Amrosa, Brandon Pilly, and Tyler Katoa. Appreciate your evaluations of them. Well, we talked about Katoa, so we don't not need to rehash Katoa. Um, Myron Tagovailoa Amosa is uh, a defensive lineman that really has sort of picked up steam kind of midseason with some of his tape. Um, he's a guy that uh, is going to visit Oregon next week. I think USC is in the clear driver's seat with him. And he's talking about maybe making an announcement in mid-December, which is in- interesting because he has a Vanderbilt official visit scheduled for the last week of January. So when we were talking about official visits and he said, oh, yeah, and I've got Vanderbilt for the last week of January, I thought, okay, so you're waiting to signing day. And he said, ah, maybe not. I might make an announcement maybe in mid-December after I take that organ visit. And that sort of surprised me. Uh, what USC does with him is, again, sort of, we kind of wait and see. I, I think with the defensive line position, you've got two guys that are committed, uh, that are defensive and defensive tackle types. They are going to grow and they're going to be guys that get bigger. It'll be interesting to see sort of if, uh, Tagavailoa wants to commit if USC is ready for him to commit. I think that's really kind of something that, uh, we kind of have to watch and see. Um, I, I think maybe to some extent Brandon Peely might be in the same um, category. Uh, Brandon Peely is a little more dynamic. Uh, he's a guy that, you know, if you go to his uh, huddle uh, channel, you'll see him, you know, dunking the basketball and doing things. Um, I know Brandon Huffman saw him at a camp over the summer, and he was playing tight end and was blown away just by his athleticism. Uh, but, you know, that's all fine and dandy, but that's not playing football in pads and showing how tough he is and how aggressive he is. He's got some athleticism, and there's definitely some plus side to his ability uh, just as an athlete to play the position. But with pads on, you know, how good of a football player he is. you got to remember, this is a kid that played his high school career, most of it, in Alaska, and he just transferred to a school, uh, Westview, in Portland, uh, to get on the radar with more schools and to play against better competition. So you're going from Alaska to Portland. You're not playing Pac-5 CIF football here. And so, again, I, I kind of wonder, you know, is USC ready to go at first and dive in with all these guys when you've got two guys that are sort of projects? And, you know, as I said before, Terrence Lang is sort of floating out there, and it's another guy, a fantastic athlete, very good basketball player. You're talking about legitimate six six six, almost six seven, two hundred eighty five pounds. But all that athleticism in shirts and a short in shorts does not tell you how well he's going to translate as a football player at the college level. He plays at Maranatha High School. He has not seen the physical, aggressive, instinctual, tough football players that you're going to see at that Division One level. Uh, those offensive linemen that will just blow you off the ball if you try to play patty cake with them. So it's one of those things that I just don't know how many guys USC can stock up on the defensive line that are the project-type players, and, you know, you, you, you're only going to have so much room there, and, and you're trying to bring in, you know, somebody that can be a marquee guy on top of it. So uh, that's sort of the, again, some of the, the takeaway a little bit uh, with, with those guys, and I think Peely and Tagovailoa sort of, uh, you know, are, are fit into that. Um, there's some other guys even on the board that USC is continuing to recruit that are also still in those categories. So I think it just it's really going to be more about 
okay, in-home visits and how comfortable does USC feel like uh, they are with, with some of the more impactful players that are out there. Is there a guy that maybe wants to visit USC now and take an official visit that was really off the radar, that was somebody that, you know, they didn't think they really even had a shot at before they won eight games straight? You know, that's another thing that we sort of have to know. Again, right now USC I think is going to have to reevaluate the board. I think they've been reevaluating their recruiting board over the past few weeks and just trying to get a feel for, you know, the guys that uh, they have a shot at, the guys they feel good with, and then some guys that they might reach for and see if they can just, you know, get those guys caught up in the momentum of, of the season that they've had here, um, you know, since September. All right, uh, let's go. We got some questions written in. Uh, Tarek had one. He says, how does Clay Helton oh, – I'm sorry. Excuse me. That was the wrong uh, – <laughs> I was reading from the team questions, not the recruiting questions. Tarek wrote in, does Daniel Green remind you of Cameron Smith, but with more speed? No. Okay. <laughs> he doesn't. Um, Cameron Smith it, it just was so uh, so aware and so smart as a football player. Um, he was really, really a quarterback uh, on the defense. And you hear that always that gets thrown around uh, with a lot of uh, a, a lot of recruits and a lot of linebackers. But that middle linebacker spot, it, it, football IQ can take you a long ways. And we've seen Cam, – I don't think Cameron Smith is 100% yet from his knee injury. And certainly when we saw him during the summer, we thought it's going to take even a couple months into the season before he really starts to come around. But look at how well this guy has played. I mean, he's been phenomenal. This is, And he still looks like he's sort of hobbling around a little bit with that big knee brace on. When he gets back to 100%, He's going to be that guy that had three interceptions or whatever against Utah. He's just spatially aware, incredibly instinctual, very smart. He's not the most athletic guy in the world, but it shows you that if you can anticipate and you have great awareness and you have great instincts, you're going to be two steps ahead of the guy that's the athlete, and the guy that's the athlete's just got to have the speed to make up for it. Um, so when I look at Daniel Green, I really look at more as an, I'm an athlete, a guy that's hard-nosed, um, he's definitely physical. He comes up the line of scrimmage well, and uh, he's a banger. Um, he's physical, and that's, uh, I think, really more. He, he's not sort of that intellectual, really high IQ, like total you know, football player that's playing with his eyes and playing with his head up all the time and anticipates that way. And he's, he's, he's making big plays at the line of scrimmage because he has got good speed and he's physical and he's willing to go in there and he's re- re- really re- willing to wreck people. You know, he's willing to go in there and sacrifice his body and play um, sort of in that reckless nature, uh, which is good. You know, I mean, you want a downhill runner as an inside linebacker, especially in a 34 defense where you're going to be taking on more guards and stuff. Um, I think that's definitely a, a plus side for him. Uh, but, you know, like I said, you know, this is a, this, this, this committed class. We've got to see what happens. There's going to be a lot of shifting, a lot of movement. Um, it's going to be interesting as we get into, in January specifically, uh, might be some things that happen even before that point. All right. We have a question here. He starts out, hello, Gerard. Two quick questions. Uh, I know that each athlete, he put a lot of O's in there, by the way. Uh, I know that each athlete is limited to a number of official visits they can take, but is a school limited in the number of official visits they can host? And are, and are the schools limited in the amount they can spend for each official visit. Thanks, Paul and Santa Clarita. Yes, I believe the number is 55 
still? I'm not 100% sure, but there actually is a limit for official visits you can bring in. And I only know that because Oregon, when they got sanctioned, ha-ha, um, <laughs> with uh, the whole Will Lyles, Chip Kelly thing, um, they got sanctioned in how many official visits they could bring in. And I think their number was like 38 or something weird like that. It was a, like a number in the 30s. And I was like, oh, wow, so there's actually a limit to how many guys you can bring in. Uh, schools very rarely reach the limit. They very rarely come anywhere near it, quite frankly, um, but there there definitely is a limit for that. So that's the number there. Um, and about spending? And about spending? What was the second half of the question? Yeah, like spending? is there a month that they can spend or something? Like uh, is there a limited well, amount? Well, there's, there's an amount that they can spend on per recruit for sure. I mean, there, that, that goes back to the old Willie – Williams, you know, eating lobster and steak days where they can only spend so much money on dinner. They can, it's more about the individual recruit. I, the recruiting budget, I don't think there's, there's any limit to that because we know that the recruiting budgets in the SEC are outrageous. And, and I think somebody had, uh, I can't remember what the number was, but I remember there was a report on Alabama and it included the number that they were spending on um, their, uh, their support staff. And that was at, at that point, it was 2.7 million. I think it now it's over 3 million. And there was something like $2 million or something for their, for their recruiting budget. But that goes towards not only official visits, it goes towards, um, you know, the paraphernalia that they're sending recruits. And, um, now a lot of it is digital, so it's not, it's not much money, but they still, re- you know, send a lot of mail to recruits. So it, it encompassed all that kind of stuff, the travel budget and whatever. But, Everybody's got something different. Obviously, Alabama is probably the most in the nation, just like everything else. They they spend more than anybody on on football. Um, and so, no, I, I think overall, I don't think there's a cap, but there is a cap per recruit. That's an NCAA deal. You know, the, the NCAA caps how much money um, you could spend on an individual recruit uh, during uh, an official visit. So, you know, he can only have forty dollars a day or something you can spend on him for food and blah 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 i don't know what all the numbers are and all that kind of stuff but but um, there is a limit it it might be out there somewhere it it, you might be able to actually look it up okay we go let's see martin he said uh with usc's defense playing as well as they are while shutting down the pac-12 offenses and cutting down teams average points per game in half has there been more interest from defensive players that have SC low on their list and now put SC as a high option, particularly with defensive linemen and defensive ends, uh, the predator position? Uh, that's from Martin in Ontario. And maybe that to go along with that, Gerard, Paul in Vegas wants to know, give us a few names of top prospects that were long shots before our turnaround, but are now giving us a decent shot. So kind of the same sort of thing. Um one specifically for defense, but one overall for, for any player. Yeah, uh, yes. It's, you know, I think a good example of that and sort of, you know, when it, when it happened, it was like, okay, yeah, this is because USC is winning more and they've, you know, there's more promise there with the direction of the program. And that's really the thing, you know, no, no kid wants to, you know, become, enter a program that's basically become an anchor weight, you know, and it's just sinking. And that, that, you don't want to be a part of that because you know, eventually, that coaching staff is going to get fired and the relationship that you have with those coaches and the loyalty and sort of the, the, the rapport that you built with them, uh, which can be tied into playing time all of a sudden vanishes. So they, they don't want that uncertainty. So, um, winning does help in terms of stability. And obviously when, you know, you're able to win eight games in a row, Clay Helton's obviously coming back next year. 
Uh, he may have built himself enough credibility that not a great season next year could you still secure him for, for being there for another year. It, it's all built like that. That's sort of the system, um, and that's why recruits look at winning. It's not, it's not individual games so much like, oh, they beat such and such, so I want to commit there. It's more of the, the body of work, if you will. And one guy that specifically has talked about USC's turnaround is Darnay Holmes, uh, number one recruit in the nation uh, as a cornerback, uh, five-star 5'11", 5'10", 180 pound, um, guy from Calabasas who everybody says, walk for US, uh, UCLA, walk for UCLA, going to UCLA, going to UCLA. And the interesting thing is that he said early in the recruiting process that he wasn't going to take any official visits to any local schools. That included UCLA, uh, being a supposed locked to UCLA. But he actually scheduled an official visit to UCLA, USC uh, a few weeks ago. And so... That was a big deal. It's a big deal because, A, it's USC, and he did start talking to USC more sort of during the summer. But when USC lost that game to Alabama, that really killed their chances with him. Uh, he, he was said specifically to me. I remember talking to he and his dad over the summer, and he had taken an unofficial visit to USC and sort of you know rekindled his, his relationship with some of the coaches and decided, okay, let me give USC another look. And he said, I really want to see how USC plays against Alabama. I want to see, you know, how this coaching staff coaches and how they've developed over the offseason. And we saw the result of that. It was, it was terrible. It was a disaster. And so that was it. You know, Darnell Holmes is not going to, or Darnell Holmes is not going to look at USC, you know. And, and so the game have gone on. The season has gone on and USC is turning around and Sam Darnold has helped that situation, obviously. And, and I just think the team as a whole, has sort of built confidence, and the recruits have seen that. So now Darnay Holmes has turned a little bit and decided, you know, I'm going to take an official visit to USC. So he's coming in this weekend. Um, now he's got a game Saturday, so that's going to be an interesting thing to see how that's finagled and when he actually comes in. Maybe he doesn't come in Friday. He comes in later. Uh, we've seen that uh, a couple times in the past with, with visits and stuff like that. Um, but he's going to take an official visit to USC, and then he's got Michigan following that. Uh, he just came back from Ohio State, big game there, where they beat Michigan in overtime. And you would think, wow, Ohio State had to impress them. I mean, that was like a perfect uh, storm for, for Ohio State, who brought in a bunch of recruits and everything. But USC, they're going to really focus on him, I think, this weekend. I, I don't think it's going to be a big nine-recruit weekend where they're bringing in all these visitors. I think with a guy like Darnay Holmes, um, they've got to they've gotta really kind of talk to him and really show that, hey, man, you, you're one of our top guys. And the angle that they have with him is Adoree Jackson. And, again, going in with all the winning, we've seen Adoree Jackson have a fantastic season and making plays both on offense, defense, and special teams. And so that's a big deal because they're recruiting Darnay Holmes sort of in that spot. And having watched Darnay Holmes last week, uh, actually filmed this game, I have his ISO highlights that I have to get to when we get through some of this uh, visit weekend stuff. Um, he played both ways and was great both ways. I mean, he's playing slot receiver. Uh, they, they motioned him. He played, uh, you know, special teams, ran back kicks. Um, he had two touchdowns in the game, both receiving touchdowns. Really probably had three, but they didn't give him a really spectacular catch that I think he made, uh, but the ref said he didn't make. Um, just, you know, phenomenal overall, and he really fits. Like, he is a guy that if you're going to draw up, hey, a possible replacement for Dory Jackson, just, you know, profile-wise, he's sort of that guy. He's not quite as tall and lanky as Dory Jackson. But he actually might be, right now, I would say, a better football player than Adoree Jackson. Adoree Jackson, you know, was really a track guy, and he played football, but he sort of was just a great athlete. 
uh, Darnie Holmes is he's a football player, and he's a guy that'll go out there. He's physical. He's quick. Um, he, he's powerful for for a smaller guy, and so you know he would be one of those guys that could definitely come in and do a lot of the things that USC has done with Adoree Jackson. So that's one big name, local name, you know, going head to head with UCLA, and you know, there's still a lot of thought. You know, he's going to end up at UCLA. Dad was college roommates or whatever with uh, Demetrius Martin, the defensive backs coach at UCLA. Um, you know, there's a lot of connections to UCLA, but obviously UCLA has got a lot of issues and things like that. And um, USC is going to get a chance with Darnay Holmes. So uh, that's a, that's a big name. That's like one guy that you say, okay, yeah, the season and the turnaround has definitely been uh, very, very good uh, in terms of getting the attention of some of those big name guys that certainly after the Alabama game. We're not looking at USC. Uh, but there's been plenty of other players as well. I think the safety position, and I don't want to go into names, but I think the safety position is looking pretty good for USC. I think there's a few guys that they're going to get. I think defensive backs in general, and, and this was a question that just came up with uh, Diamador Lenore. Uh, Diamador Lenore just committed from Oregon just as we were uh, you know, getting this uh, podcast started. Uh, he tweeted that he was decommitting from Oregon. And a lot of people say, well, hey, USC offered him during the spring. Uh, is, is USC still in contact with them, or you know, is this a guy that they could they could get? Uh, people were even asking that, you know, before US before he decommitted officially, is this a guy that USC will flip? Uh, I, USC's got a lot of names out there. They got a lot of guys out there, and, and you know, I'm sure they're going to look at the Amador Lenore, and and they'll be in contact with him. I'm sure they've been in contact with him, but I don't know that he's a guy that they're going to just jump over hurdles to try to get a part of the class ASAP. They've got quite a few good names lined up for visits here. And just trust me, that 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 defensive back board is pretty good. It's pretty deep with names and a lot of options. And, you know, they're not going to get everybody, but if they're looking for four or five defensive backs, there's a lot of guys that they can uh, that they could end up with that would make that a, another phenomenal class because they got a really good class last year with Jack Jones and Keyshawn uh, Young, um, Jamel Cook. Uh, that that was a pretty good class that they signed last year. Uh, this year could be another really good class. You uh you kind of stepped on our next question, Gerard. Uh, Bearsecutor wanted to know. Um, he said with Mark Helfrich on the hot seat up at Oregon, and we still don't know what's going on there. It doesn't seem like it's going to work out, but uh you know who knows? We'll we'll probably know more this week. He wants to know if USC has a decent chance to flip. Uh, you mentioned Lenore, but he's already decommitted. Um, and right. you talked about him, but also uh, Popo. Uh, Amahu Vehe, Amahu Vehe, <laughs> Amave, Amave, Popo Amave, a defensive Amave. tackle from St. Mary High School. Okay, um, a guy that uh, is committed to Oregon, who USC was recruiting and USC liked, um, and I can see him may, uh, getting on an official visit to USC maybe some point. Um, again, though, you know, you're talking about another guy that uh, I can't remember off the top of my head. If Popo was a four star or a three star, but. A, a solid player that I don't know that USC is just ready to go and say, hey, you know, here's a committable offer right now if you want to come to USC and flip. Um, they kind of have to see, you know, where they are. Now, I, I, he's definitely a, a very good player, and I could see them, like I said, recruiting him, maybe even more than Lenore at this point just because I think that defensive back board is just so deep with guys that will come in and on official visits and guys that have interest in USC and really have had interest in USC for a while. Um, the defensive tackle board, the interior defensive line, not so much. You know, there's not a lot of impact players. And Popo is probably sort of in between a guy that I would say is a, is a, 
difference maker and a solid role player that needs developing. I don't think he's a guy that needs a ton of development as a defensive lineman. Um, but then again, you know, you could look at him and say maybe he's not even a defensive lineman. Maybe he's a guy that's an offensive lineman. Um, kind of reminds me when I watched him play guard, um, a little bit of uh, Vianney Telemaivo. Uh, he kind of sort of has that kind of look to him. Um, he wanted to play offensive tackle and played mostly that when he was at the opening regional in Oakland, uh, which I, he's not. He's not an offensive tackle. He just doesn't have the length to be an offensive tackle. Uh, but saw him play some defensive line, and he was pretty good. He's very quick. Got good hands. He's very well coached. Good, pretty polished defensive lineman in terms of technique. Uh, but as when he plays interior, he's explosive. And you you can think about you know a guy that has pretty good quickness, maybe not exceptional athleticism in terms of being a guy that can run down a play from the backside, uh, shoot the gap, and make a lot of plays in the offensive backfield. But a guy that's quicker than fast and can kind of play well in the phone booth, you put him over to guard and he can do a lot of damage as well. So that's more who he is. And again, I, I wouldn't say he's going to be, he's, he's certainly not Jay Tufele. Um, and, and that's sort of probably the best defensive lineman I've seen this year, at least on the camp circuit. Uh, a guy that really is a difference maker, a guy that you could plug in and he's going to play as a freshman. Um, I, I don't know that he's going to be starting anywhere as a freshman, but he's going to play a lot and he can make an impact. Um, I think that's sort of the top. And then you've got guys uh, that, you know, like are committed to USC. That you know J- Jacob Lichtenstein, who's you know two forty, two fifty, who is going to eventually play at two eighty. Like he's got to get to that two eighty range, but and it's going to just take time for him to be able to put on that kind of weight uh, to be that guy. And, and a guy like Terrence Lang, who has the weight, but has got to build the muscle with it. I mean, he, he's two eighty five right now, but he's not a, a strong, you know, powerful two eighty five. He's a guy that's going to have to put on that weight. He's kind of got you know basketball skills more than football skills right now. Um, Popo sort of is in the middle of that. So I could see USC definitely giving him a look and looking at him. And, and again, you know, that's why you may have to, you know, sort of slow play guys like um, Brendan Peely and, uh, you know, maybe uh, Tagovailoa, those type of guys. So it, it's, it's, you really kind of have to exercise, I think, that defensive line board and see, you know, how many options you can develop. And then at some point in January, you got to figure out, okay, this is the direction we're going. This is plan A, this is plan B, and this is plan C. All right, we got one more for you, Gerard. Let's, uh, this is a, another one from Tarek. Last one. He said, did USC have enough of a turnaround that they can land a top five class, uh, as you alluded to earlier in the year, or do you think they need to win the bowl game before you can say for sure? You know, I uh, again, I don't want to put everything on one game because it, it's not one game, but the bowl game can be big. You know, you could go to a bowl game, and if you play like you did against Alabama, you're going to take two steps back. Um, you go in, you play competitively, and you lose closely to a team, it's still a very sellable season, the, the turnaround that they've had, and they could still definitely be top ten. You're talking top five, you kind of have to have everything fall into place. You know, obviously – you're going to have some decommitments to make room for more commitments, and then those guys have to be top players as well. So I'd say, yeah, I'd say, you know, you gotta, it, it's got to be a top-five class of where USC was and is now still has to be – everything has to fall into place, basically. And that means you're going to have to win your bowl game and show that, you know, that, that the season is complete, the turnaround is complete, we're ready for next season, and we're going to go and we're going to win a Pac-12 title. That's our, our goal yada, 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 
and Clay Helton could kind of put that all forth, and 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 they will close well. I, I really do think USC is going to close well, just because I think Clay Helton is a very good closer as a head coach. Um, I think that his style uh, really bodes well with in-home visits and official visits, and that's really what January is going to be about. Um, and so, being able to put that product on the field, that that resume, if you will, that credibility, that is, you know, this is how we played. This is what you can do within our system. Uh, that's going to be a big deal as well. And, and I think, you know, if they have that and they have that with the bowl game where everybody's sort of watching, you know, whether it's New Year's or, you know, before New Year's or whatever they end up playing in, um, I think, yeah, I think that's definitely a, a, a factor in it. Um, again, it's not – and I, I don't want to say it's like about one game and the difference being between these recruits and that recruits, but a bowl game is bigger than one game a little bit. And because USC sort of on a win streak, um, you know, it, it, it definitely – of an impact when you're talking about top five. I think right now, I would predict that they should be top ten, though. I, I think that with what USC has done at this point and the momentum they have coming in to the bowl game, that just with this, you know, this, this little postseason stretch we're going to have till signing day, they should be a top ten recruiting class. All right. Well, that's Gerard Martinez. Follow him on Twitter uh, at GMart Live. Uh, good stuff, man. It's, uh, yeah, uh, did, now did we go over an hour because people now expect us to go over an hour. Uh, let's see. We are at no, no, we are at forty nine minutes, which I like. That's good. Um, well, we got the college football playoff thing about to start while we're recording this, so I want to check that out too. Uh, the, okay. Uh, the rankings, you know, that's uh, yeah, it's about so yeah, so it's scheduled about ten minutes or so. It's going to start. Maybe get your thoughts on that real quick. Um, my, I still think USC goes to the Rose Bowl. Do you do you think that happens? That's what I think. Um, I would assume Washington can can beat Colorado, and uh, Washington will get a spot in the playoff. If they don't, there's going to be a lot of controversy about that, certainly. And you know, they're they're one losses to USC, which is you know a good loss at this point. <laughs> you know what I mean? So. Um, yeah, I would think that uh, that that Washington would sneak into the playoff, and uh, USC probably gets that Rose Bowl bid. Now, there's some people saying that Colorado may still get the bid over USC. I can't really fathom that, um, just not from a standpoint of the, the the fan base and the following and just the name of USC, and that's going to sell way more tickets probably than Colorado. Right. No offense, to Colorado fans. The the one thing Colorado maybe have going for them is that they would travel more. And maybe from a business standpoint, because you have people, you know, more hotels and things of that nature, there would be a push um, from some committee members to bring Colorado in because you would have two teams who are basically out of state and they would have to get hotels and there's more of a tourist factor that you bring to the game. Um, but in terms of, you know, TV revenue and ratings, yeah, USC is going to sell more than, than Colorado. So you think that – so. So just so people know, it's up to the, the college football playoff committee because they rank the teams and the highest, if, if Washington goes to the playoff, like we think they will, the, the highest ranked Pac-12 team outside of Washington goes to the Rose Bowl automatically. So you think the college football playoff committee knows that and they would weigh that depending on, cause you could, the, here's the argument. If Colorado loses, they'll have three losses. They'll be 10 and three. USC's nine and three. Um, USC won head to head. But a lot of times you don't um, punish a team for losing the conference championship game. So they could look at Colorado as really a two-loss team instead of a three-loss team. And there, then there maybe the head-to-head wouldn't play in as a factor. But um, the, that's why I want to see what these rankings are now. In the AP poll, Colorado's 9, USC's 10. 
if USC is only one spot behind Colorado and Colorado loses and Colorado lost to USC head to head, I'm agree with you. I don't think there's a way the committee could put, keep Colorado ahead of USC. Um, but I don't, that, I don't, but you think they could take the whole factor of who would, you know, fill I think there's season. pressure. I just think there's always a monetary factor that comes into all of this at the end of the day. Yeah. And, and that, and that the committee members will have some type of say into, okay, I'm not, and I'm not saying it's going to be what, what pushes, you know, Colorado in or, or any, I'm just saying that I think that will be a factor and that that would be the only possible explanation that I want to have, quite frankly. Unless, like you said, it's a really close game against Washington and they completely ignore that it's a loss. Yeah. And they ignore that, you know, well, they play close against USC. And you know what? That would partly be USC's fault because they should have smoked Colorado. They should have beat Colorado by four touchdowns. I mean, they had Colorado on the ropes in that first half, and they looked like it were going to blow them out, and they just didn't do it. And that's and Juju Smith. Juju Smith went down, and he could have scored again at the end, and he took. Yeah, a... that's obviously. Yeah, that was that was one factor. I wouldn't, you know, but but. He went down and they only, you know, they didn't score on that particular, uh, that drive or, or what have you at the end of the game. But it shouldn't have been that close anyways, is what I'm kind of saying. And it's one of those things like, oh, well, you know, he missed the field goal and they lost because of a stupid field goal kicker. No, you lost because you fumbled the ball away in the red zone several times and you had stupid penalties that killed your drives inside the red zone. They had a lot of opportunities to score, which they didn't score, um, because they had turnovers and they just had dumb mistakes in that game against Colorado and they let, Colorado linger and linger and linger and really should have, they should have beat Colorado sort of how they beat Cal, in my opinion. It was very kind of a similar game. Cal just didn't have anything at the end, I think, defensively to, to hold USC, whereas Colorado did and it kept them in the game. But USC really shot themselves in the foot a lot in that game and it really wasn't close to, to me. I mean, it, 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 USC was clearly the better team. Um, but you know, if, it, if they lose close to Washington and all of a sudden that becomes a point of contention, then, you know, it's sort of USC's fault at that end of the day. You, I just think USC's fine, man. They're playing with, with, with found money right now. You know, it's, it's not yeah. the whole thing about not getting the championship game. I tweeted about that and a lot of people were sort of, I, I don't know. I actually, a lot of people agreed with me, but I kind of think that that was a blessing in disguise for them. Uh, they're, they're banged up and beating a good Washington team twice is tough. And really, what do you get out of it? You, you, you go to the Rose Bowl probably. And you might go to the Rose Bowl anyway, not playing Washington again. So the risk and reward of it, you know, is is if you lose, you really take a step back. If you win, eh, you go to the Rose Bowl. Okay, well, we might go to the Rose Bowl anyway. So do we really need to go play the team again that we already beat on the road, which, you know, was very impressive in how they beat them. Yeah. All right. Well, good stuff, Gerard. We'll uh... – It'll start pretty soon. So I think, uh, I think Colorado will be like nine and USC 10, which is good. USC just wants to be close to Colorado to get the best shot. If they kind of widen the distance between Colorado and USC, then you could, you know, it's more perceivable that they could keep Colorado ahead of USC if Colorado loses, but uh, we'll see. Um, but good stuff. Follow them on Twitter at Gmart Live. Thanks again, Gerard. Thank you for having me. We'll, uh, we'll talk again soon. Yeah, we will talk again soon. That's Gerard Martinez. Hope you guys enjoyed this Peristyle podcast. We'll come back tomorrow with Dan Weber talking more about the USC football team, the Notre Dame win and all that going forward. And of course, the latest college football ranking. So thanks for tuning in and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. 
And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 